0: Well, hey, good morning. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. If we've not met, thanks for taking some time out of your weekend to be with us. And uh, just news flash: in case you've not picked up on this, it is really cold outside. It is cold. It makes me wish of warmer days. Some of you are like, I thought you were from Michigan. I am. And I still think this is ridiculous. This is so sad that I chose this. Maybe I'm sad about myself. Maybe I'm just, this is a monologue. This is happening and you're watching. Uh, but it, it reminds me of warmer days. Some of you are like, yeah, I just got back from Florida, or yeah, I can't wait till the next time I get down to, to California or something like that. I remember uh, right around this time, about a little over a decade ago, I was in Auckland, New Zealand. I lived there the year after I graduated high school, and in New Zealand, in case you've not been or have yet to go, it's always warm there it's like always 50s or higher they don't really know what snow looks like in most of the country especially where I lived was right on the ocean it was beautiful it was warm it was tropical Uh, it it was all the things that you kind of want out of a vacation but I lived it for a year like it was incredible in that sense and there's a lot of fun things to do in New Zealand there's uh, whitewater rafting which I love it was so fun Uh, You can watch rugby there, which is, like, one of my favorite sports. Incredible to watch other people just destroy each other, and you're, like, sitting eating popcorn. Like, that's why we all like football, too, because everyone else is doing the work, and we're watching them and telling them how to do their work better. Uh, So we're sitting there, and we're doing that. I mean, there's a lot of adventure. You can zorb, like, get in these big bubbles and just roll down massive hillsides. Like, things you should be able to do in other parts of the world you can do in New Zealand. Uh, One of those is bungee jumping. And I had the opportunity to go, opportunity as in, like, it was a good thing. I was terrified, okay? I was, I was freaked out of my mind, and I, I paid the money. My friends convinced me. They hopped in a car, and out we drove to Auckland's Harbor Bridge. Now, at the very peak of Auckland's Harbor Bridge, it's around 130 feet straight down into the water below. And so there's me kind of ready to jump. Uh, What you didn't see was the utter panic I was experiencing from where I signed up to the walk out to that point (laughs) right there. I was terrified, okay? So I get harnessed in. They strap you to this little catwalk thing, and you just begin this slow, arduous walk out to the middle of the bridge, And slow as in, like, it felt like it took 15 years because I was so freaked out. And every chance I did, every chance I had, I kind of turned around, I was like, will the person behind me be mad if I just left? Like, if I just kind of unclip myself and, like, sneak away off this bridge? And every time there'd be a, and the person behind me is just freaking out, shaking. And they're like, no, 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 don't, don't leave. Like, I need you. And the person in front of me, their knees are shaking. I can see their sweat start to form on their back. Finally, it's my turn, and I get to that point. And my life flashes before my eyes and nothing happened yet. (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm there, I'm on the edge, kind of just like this. And below me is 130 feet worth of a drop and then water. And right before I do that, the guy asked me, hey, do you want to go in baptism style? And I was like, what? I was like, I'm a Christian, sure. Uh, Baptism style, he said, yeah, you're going to just, you're going to go down right off this cliff and you're going to touch the water. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, what did I just sign up for? Like, So that's essentially what happened. So uh, I get to that point. I'm staring down. You can literally see like a sailboat below. It looks so t- tiny in that picture. But the two guys get behind me, and they say, all right. I'm like, right, oh, we're going to push you on three. I was like, okay, because they knew I was freaked out, and I would not jump on my own accord. So I get to the edge, and they're like, three, two, poof, and push me before one. And I just scream like the smallest girl you've ever met. <laughs> It pure terror. I mean, I was terrified. I just, I literally thought, yeah, yeah, you know, have you ever, anyone been to Cedar Point before? Okay, Cedar Point, every time I go in the line, I'm like, I know those people were fine ahead of me. I'm going to be the one that dies. And that's exactly what I felt. I was like, there was a guy who's probably like 400 pounds who went before me. I was like, it's still going to be me. Little 100 pound John, 18 years old, is going to be the one that breaks a stupid rope and dies in New Zealand, like, that's gonna be my story. Like, I I don't want that to be my story, but I'm sitting there, and I was just totally terrified. I get down, I touch the water, and I bounce back up, full of adrenaline, and also full of fear. Now, maybe you've not done that, but there's probably things that are somewhat humorous or maybe just weird that you're also afraid of. I mean, how many people right now are afraid of, like, viruses that could kill you, like flu stuff and other stuff going around our world? Maybe you have a weird, irrational fear of spiders or snakes or crowds, and you're like, I don't know why I'm sitting in a crowd right now. Like, maybe you have some of those weird fears. Maybe it was clowns for you. Any clown people in there? Like you see that little fad a couple years ago, you're like, I'm going to kill them if I see one. Like that's going to be how they die. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of things like sometimes uh, things like bungee jumping. I chose to do that. And you may say that was really stupid. I did it on my mom's birthday, which was even worse. Uh, I chose to do that. I chose to let myself into that fear. But there's a lot of fears you and I encounter that we don't choose. Like there's fear, maybe you're sitting here today and there's fear of what the next year's gonna look like. Maybe there's anxiety around a sickness or an illness in your family. And you're like, I'm not sure what 2021 will be like. I don't know. Maybe totally different. Maybe you're in a relationship right now. It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend, a fiance. Maybe it's even a marriage where you're like, I don't know how this is gonna resolve and I'm kind of afraid it's gonna fall apart. There's fear that drives you. Maybe it's fear of failure. Fear of looking bad in front of your boss. Fear uh, when you have to go home and pay the bills and recognizing you didn't make enough this month. You're not going to get it done. Like you haven't experienced that provision yet. And there's fear that drives every single one of us. If we're honest enough, there's fear that grips some of us for decades that we've never really surrendered, never really given over, and never really found true freedom over. So the question is probably in your mind, just like it has been in mine before, what do we do with that? What do we do with that fear? Like if that is real and it's a driver, how do we transform that into something that could actually bring us hope and actually bring us grace? In the Gospel of Mark, we journey through the lives of not just Jesus, but also some some teenage boys that he picked to follow him. They're called disciples. He picks 12 of them. He calls them out of their vocation what the job they were doing. says, lay down everything and just follow me, which is a radical idea then, and it's still radical now. Lay down everything and follow me. It's a bold ask. But I want to take you to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you got a Bible or device, some of this will be on the screen, but some of the story won't. So if you want to follow the whole thing, grab something to look it up with. But in Mark 4, verse 35, here's what we read right at the end of where we left off last weekend. That day when evening came, Jesus, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. I want to pause right there. Because if you've ever, when you think about a lake, you normally think about an an enjoyable, pleasurable experience, right? If you have a boat, you're like, the lake is a fun place for me. Well, if you're fishermen who know that in this specific lake they're about to travel across, people died on the regular You'd be a little afraid. Like, I want to show you a picture of what the Sea of Galilee normally looks like right there. Like, this girl looks like she's a part of a postcard. Looks incredible. Now, when the disciples here, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Here's what they're thinking. Mark Wahlberg, George Clooney, freaking out. Perfect storm. Like, that's what they are thinking of because they've likely had friends who maybe have died on this lake. Like, fishing as a, as a business, as itself, as like a venture, was not the safest profession. Because they believed that the sea, there were sea monsters, there was chaos, there was Davy Jones' locker. Like, they believed all that stuff. And so when they cross and and get into this boat and decide, sure, we'll go over to the other side, they're like, this may not turn out very well. They were not thinking of a pleasurable experience. There's fear of the sea for them. Well, look what happens. Uh, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Now, in verse 37, look what happens. Their fears are confirmed. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, Jesus was in the stern plotting out a course to, to fix this. St- that's actually not what it says if you have your Bible. Jesus was in the stern, what is he doing? He's sleeping. I've never slept through a storm. I'm a light sleeper. Anytime it's like a, a chance of a thunderstorm, I'm awake like multiple times in the night. And, and in the middle of this storm, literally they're in an open boat. It's, the waves are crashing over. I'm, I'm picturing Jesus like half soaked, but just so peaceful. And he's just like laying there asleep. And these disciples are freaking out. And so they do what you and I would do. They do what any normal rational human being, look what happens in verse 38. The disciples woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care? Don't you see me? Don't you care if we drown? Verse 39, well, Jesus got up. He rebukes the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why? Why? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Disciples turned back to him and in fear, they're terrified, it says. And they asked each other, who is this? even the wind and the waves obey him? Like creation bows to when Jesus speaks that, that he, it seems to have some kind of control over water, over these sea monsters, over the abyss, over this incredible lake that wanted to swallow us whole. He actually controls that. And I think one of the most critical questions Jesus asks in this story before we move on is found in verse 40. If you saw it in your Bible, you already probably picked it up. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Jesus is not questioning, what are you afraid of? Jesus knows what they're afraid of. They're in the middle of a storm, and he's there. He's in it. His feet are wet, too. Like, his life was at stake, too. And even though he was sleeping, he probably knew something terrible is going on. He doesn't ask, guys, what are you afraid of? He already knows. He says, why? Are you so afraid? You still don't have faith? Like, did you not know who's sleeping like five feet away from you? The one who can get up and calm the sea, who literally speaks to creation and it responds. See, Jesus cares more about why they're afraid, why we're afraid, than what we're afraid of. Because fear for every one of us looks different, and Jesus wants to get even deeper. He wants to say, but why are you afraid? Now, oftentimes, the reason we're afraid is because we're living independent from himself, from Jesus. If I'm fearful about my job, and I'm fearful, am I going to get terminated? Like, you just go in every week, like, wondering, is this going to be the week? Like, the business is struggling. Maybe that's going to be me. The re- what you're afraid of is the job. And Jesus is like, okay, that's real. But why you're afraid may mean because I've got to make it happen. I've got to provide. Jesus won't have my back if I do get fired, so I better not get fired. He cares about the Why? Maybe you're afraid of a a relationship. Maybe you're afraid of getting into a relationship. And you're worried that, well, I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be accepted as if the relationship brings you that. Jesus says, I care about why. It's in me. It's in a relationship with me that you find the love and acceptance and the true fulfillment that you really long for. Not another girl, not another guy. Jesus cares more about why we're afraid than what we're afraid of. And, and the why behind our fear always reveals that we're often living independent from God's goodwill for us. We're living apart from His plan. We're living apart from what's best. We're living apart from His provision. Uh, blazing your own trail, some of you are you're outdoorsy people. Blazing your own trail in the woods is a great idea, but in real life, it sucks. I'm serious. Like, that's the most spiritual way I can put it. Blazing your own trail. It's great. There's a park like 20 minutes from our house. It's one of my absolute favorite places to run. Amen Park. I love running there. I know every trail. I don't even have to look at the signs. I get it all. But some of the best parts of that trail are off the map. Like, they're places that are just incredible. And, and blazing your own trail is great in that sense. But in my own life, spiritually speaking, that's a horrible plan. It's awful. Because you're going to get to a point, maybe you're like, yeah, yeah, John, I'm way more competent than you are. That could be true. But you will come to a place. You will come to a diagnosis. You will come to a bill. You will come into a conflict that you can't get yourself out of. And blazing your own trail in those situations is often fatal. It often destroys us from the inside out. And so Jesus asked, why are you so afraid? what's beneath all of that? And so Jesus, the ultimate, I guess, tester of these guys' faith, decides we're going to up the ante. Look where he takes them in verse uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus says, okay, we made it through the storm. Now we're finally at our destination. They went across the lake, uh, 5, verse 1, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, look what happens to these guys. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. That's not normal. I hope that's none of your life verses. Because that passage is, if if the first storm didn't strike fear in your heart, that would. I don't know about you, but if a guy came running out of the local cemetery, freaking out, half naked, and screaming at me, I'm not going to be like, buddy, I'm going to run the opposite direction. I'm going to be fearful. I mean, what is wrong with this guy? And that's exactly what happens. They get on the other side of this storm, they go across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, this place that they shouldn't have been. They were; It was traditionally unclaimed. These guys are all good Jews. Gerasenes is not a Jewish area. They're, everything is backwards to them. And they get out of this boat, and the guy comes at them. Verse 3, we get a little more insight. See, this man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stone. This guy's in a bad situation and the town has given up on him. And we know that they tried to contain him. They tried to get him some help and he wasn't having it. And they run the opposite direction. They decide this guy's better. He might as well live with our dead family member. He might as well live out there. He's dead to us. They were terrified. They didn't know what was going to happen anytime they encountered this young guy. So in verse 6, look what happens. When Jesus saw him from a distance, I love this guy's response. He ran, and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, There was some kind of prior conversation Jesus had with this demon-possessed guy. He says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Name kind of reveals identity even now. Your last name has something to do with where you find your identity, even today, but even more so in first century Israel. And Jesus asked an identity question. He says, what's your why? What's your name? What's your identity? But look at how this man responds. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Clearly, just based on the grammar of this sentence, this guy is not okay. Like, we are many? Like, hold on a second. I'm talking to one guy. What is going on up there? That your name is not just Legion, which is kind of a military term for a huge group of people, but you're also saying we are many. Clearly, this guy is under demonic oppression. There's spiritual forces at work for evil in his life. In verse 11, Mark writes that a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. So Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Again, remember, not the Jewish side of the lake. Jews don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon. They're not not going to Wendy's and getting the Baconator. Like, that is not what Jews do. And yet, Jesus takes them to the other side of the lake where non-Jews, foreigners, exiles, the dirty people lived. This impure spirit guy comes out. They're like, see, that's why we don't go over here. People are running out of cemeteries. This is freaky. And there's a bunch of pigs here, too. Jesus, there's 2,000 pigs over here. Like we are not supposed to be associating pigs are unclean. We should not be here. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that demonic spirit. I'm going to put it into the that was unclean and send it into the ocean. It's gone. Jesus cares way more about freeing this guy from the grip of fear and sin than he does about some pigs. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off naturally, right? If these are your pigs. You are annoyed at the very least that what just took place was in your backyard. He reported this in the town and countryside. The people went out to see what happened. Now, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been, past tense, possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Just like the disciples were afraid of the storm, these people are afraid of Jesus' power and what he's done. The status quo has been disrupted. This guy who had been cutting himself and had been living among dead people is now suddenly normal, clothed, and having normal conversation. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Fear in the storm, fear in the pig farmers, Fear in this demon-possessed man, and Jesus frees them from all of it. He casts it out. And that's true today just as much for you and I as it was for these disciples watching. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can transform our fear into freedom. He's the only one. You and I on our own cannot do that. Our, our fears end up gripping us and sometimes killing us spiritually. They lead us to make decisions that we wish we weren't making. They lead us to tank relationships that we actually really wanted to have. Only fear does that. And in Jesus' presence, if we let him in, which is key, because these pig farmers did not, they didn't understand, even some of the disciples had some confusion, but this demon-possessed man, no, I'm gripped by fear, and I need to be free. He runs to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus casts out that impure spirit, and only Jesus can do that. What I love about this story, and this gives us such hope, that Jesus hasn't medicate this problem. He doesn't say, guys, just figure out some behaviors that'll numb this. Go sit at the bar for a while. You'll figure it out. Like, you'll be good. Take some more pills. Watch some more stuff. Look up some more things. That'll make it easier. You can at least avoid the fear. But sooner or later, it will catch up with you. And Jesus doesn't medicate. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't run the opposite direction. He just steps in. Jesus doesn't say, guys, that's not that bad of a storm. Like, you would have been fine. He acknowledges, that's a vicious storm. And Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes out, it was a vicious storm. We were about to die. And yet Jesus stands up and he calms the storm. Jesus didn't say, dude, you just have a little bit of mental disorder like, get over it. You'll figure it out. Like, take some meds or do something else. You'll be all right. No, he says, you have an impure spirit. I'm going to cast that out. I'm going to totally free you from this. I'm going to set you free from the bondage of fear. There's, there's a demon army inside of you that needs to come out. And he casts out the demon army from the man. I think it's really interesting. Nothing in scripture is by accident, by the way. In verse 39 of chapter 4, if you're a highlighter or you circle in your Bible like I do, in verse 39, it says Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind. He cast out whatever was working against him. He, it's a demonic word. It's actually like an exorcism idea. He rebuked the wind. He cast it out. Well, look exactly what Jesus does for this guy in chapter 5, verse 8. For Jesus said to him, come out. He rebuked this impure spirit. He he casts out this demon. He says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. He knows the fear that's there, and yet he transforms that into an opportunity for freedom. This guy tried a lot of things probably. He's like, God, he invited family members. Guys, bind me up. I know I can't control myself. Just keep me locked in and let's, let's just go on with our lives. And Jesus is like, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in sugarcoating the problem or avoiding the fears you have. I'm interested in transforming those fears into revealing that you are not depending on me and I want you to do that. That's how you're wired. That I wanna free you from having to do life on your own. And that's one of the most powerful things we can do when it comes to fear is name it. It's to give it a name. It's to say, here's what I'm really afraid of. For some of you, that's gonna take a lot of time. Others of you sit here today, and it's one of the first things on your mind. I'm afraid of the rent running out. I'm afraid of getting into trouble. I'm afraid of people leaving me or abandoning me. I'm afraid that I won't be secure if I step out, if I serve, if I give, that God's not going to take care of me. I'm afraid. Some of you, it's going to take a little bit of time. I remember about a year ago, we did a series here in church called Sharks and Selfies, which at the onset is a really weird title, but the whole thing was about fear. It was all about these moments where Jesus calms people's fears and, and sets them free. And one of the most powerful conversations I've had as a pastor of this church happened kind of towards the tail end of that series. Uh, a woman came up to me and just said, you know, during that fear series, I felt like I just, at the end of every sermon, I cried because fear had so gripped my life. You were describing me. You were telling my story. Every time we talked about fear, I, just, I knew what it was. I didn't have to name it, I, just, I felt it all the time. And I'm starting to believe that Jesus can actually free me from all those things. I still remember that because so many of us, we don't get to that honest of a place. We cover it, up, cover it all up and we say we're fine, we medicate, we sugarcoat it, we avoid it. We run the opposite direction when Jesus wants to, you to run to him with it and to give it over to him and to name it and to, to lean on him to bring you the freedom that you desire. And so before we sing, before we head out here in just a couple of minutes, I want to take about 20 seconds, just 20 seconds, between you and God to sit down and say, what is it? What am I really afraid of? And maybe that's hard for you to even name Maybe you grow up in a culture where you're like, I'm tough, I don't cry, I don't share that kind of stuff, next. But if you're honest, you get deep enough, you may see that that's actually the place God wants to bring you the most freedom. That's been true for me. The last couple months, God has brought me face to face with some of the things I fear the very most. Some of the things that I thought, I'm good, I can move on. One of those for me is I'm terrified. There's a fear that drives me sometimes daily. I'm just afraid if I try my hardest at something and fail, then I'm a failure. If I give everything and it still goes out, it still bottoms out, well, then there must be something wrong with me. And there's days I have to literally say, God, I'm gonna give that back to you. I need you to speak into that. I need you to help me root my identity in you. I need you to help me place my security back in you. It's not in what I do. It's not in what others say about me. It's what you've done for me and what you say about me. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You just need to name it. For me, maybe it's failure. For you, it could be a whole bunch of other things. But I want you to take 20 seconds right now. Maybe you've got a phone. You can just jot it down on a note. Maybe you need to text it to a good friend. Maybe you need to write it in your bulletin or write it on your Bible. Just say, what is it? God, I'm going to name this. And then we're going to collectively surrender those things back. So just take 20 seconds. The band's going to play. You and God, what is it? Let's name it. Father, we come before you with our greatest fear. We lay it at your feet. Knowing that at your most fearful moment, the moment where every one of us would have ran the opposite direction, you went to the cross, you sacrificed yourself, and you conquered every fear that we'll ever face. So God, I pray that as we've named it, as we've written it down, as we've identified it, I pray God this week, Ian, you would start it right now, that this week you'd begin to speak into that. You'd allow it to not be something that actually cripples us, but something that propels us to go back to you, to lay it at your feet to ask for you to have your way and for us to depend on you, God, that's the work you want to do. As people growing in spiritual maturity, God, I pray that that journey would always be going on. And maybe we haven't followed Jesus yet. We haven't surrendered our lives. God, I pray that you would draw us close. And maybe for some of us, we've followed you for 20, 30, 40 years. And I pray that that journey would continue to go deeper and deeper in our heart, that we would find more and more freedom in you. That's our hope. That's our desire today. We give you our fear and ask that you would replace it with your presence, with your love for us and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.